uh, here at CBE Church, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, uh, and uh, yeah, it's not just uh, words on the page, uh, but it's actually yeah, God speaking to us. So it's my pleasure to bring uh, Acts, uh, the Bible reading from uh, the book of Acts, and we'll read from uh, chap- chapter 4, verse 5. Um, so we'll pick up the story uh, after Peter and John were thrown uh, into jail overnight for for healing a crippled beggar and for proclaiming uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so we'll start reading uh, from, verse, from verse 5 in, in chapter 4. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called into to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man had been healed, since they could see the man who had been healed, no, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, they said nothing. They, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among them, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign God, they said, you made the heavens and and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord, and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel in the city, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers with one all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that they had they had any of their possessions that no one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. Morning, everyone. All right, uh, story time. All right, I'm in uh, math class in high school. We're all trying to do this one problem that I don't remember. Uh, all of us go with the same method except one guy. And everyone else has the wrong answer except the one guy I'm talking about. He double-checks his answer, he's able to reverse his method, and he's certain he's got the correct solution. Except everyone in his class says, no, you're wrong, even though our answers were incorrect. Everyone said we were right because it was, it was close to the answer. And the relief teacher, even he was wrong. Now... If you were the student and all your classmates and even the substitute teacher had a different answer, you'd be doubting your method, wouldn't you? You'd be thinking, did I stuff up somewhere? But the student, he had confidence in the method and he never doubted himself once. Even with all that pressure from his class and the teacher. In fact, he boldly said, that he disagreed with the teacher. You see, I remember this story well because I was the one that actually stood up for myself. And I went against my friends, my classmates, and the teacher. Uh, so the, the class after that, uh, my actual teacher came back and he actually said I was right, so victory for me there. <laughs> but I learned that day that standing up to people, it was important, even if it was hard. It was about defending the truth, what was right. It's kind of like how Christians know a truth that everyone else is convinced is false. And today we're going to see how the apostles dealt with that problem. Uh, now before we get into what happens in today's passage, let's have a quick recap of last week's talk. Uh, now last week there was a crippled beggar who Peter and John healed. Uh, the beggar was in the temple area asking for charity from people, and everyone knew that he was always asking for donations. Uh, when he asked Peter, the apostle said, I don't have any money, but I have something much, much better. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. Uh, Peter then gives a sermon telling people, why are you surprised? It's by Jesus' name that we are able to heal this man. He essentially calls for the Jews to repent of their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. And they also speak out against the Jewish law. Naturally, you heal someone who everyone has known to be healed, uh, to be crippled, and speak out against the law at the time, you're going to cause a stir. And we did see that in chapter 4, verse 4. The Sadducees, they didn't like Peter and John's words. 
Today, we have the aftermath of last week's passage. What's going to happen to Peter and John? Will they be okay? What are the religious leaders going to do? What response do Peter and John have to getting arrested? We start today in chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem and asked the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Uh, The day after Peter and John get arrested, the scene changes to this group of elders and rulers. There's Anas, the former high priest. Uh, Jesus was taken to him after being in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Then there was uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all the high priestly family. So what we have here is the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin... They were made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were basically the modern-day Supreme Court and had powers other Jewish courts didn't have. So this is probably what it kind of looked like. Uh, These guys, they were the experts in the Jewish law. And you'd only ever face them if something was very, very wrong, according to them. Now, imagine being in front of these guys. I think I'd be pretty intimidated. Uh, These guys were not pushovers. They could take rebellious Sanhedrin elders to court if they wanted. They could try a high priest, or in today's case, they could try anyone they thought was a false prophet. And it's then in verse 7 that they want to know how Peter and John managed to heal the beggar. By what power or what name did you do this? Bit of an odd question, isn't it? It almost seems rhetorical. Because I think the Sanhedrin knew the answer already. The two apostles had been proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus as the source of the healing miracle that they had just performed. You'd think the Sadducees would have said something to the other members of the Sanhedrin before the trial. But yet they still ask, By what supernatural power? Or who is the source of that power that you do this miracle? I think they knew. And I think they asked that question as an attempt to expose their theology before the court. So that they could accuse them of blasphemy. (laughs) These guys are going to say that Jesus was able to heal this guy? We beat him. We crucified him. And it's not like Peter just sits there. He wants to answer in verses 8 to 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you are questioning us 
because we healed this guy who's been crippled all his life. It's because of the name of Jesus that he's able to stand before you. The same Jesus that you guys rejected. And salvation is found nowhere else. Peter clearly isn't shying away. He's really pushing the fact that the beggar was healed because of Jesus. And the high point, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now at this point, Peter's almost kind of just repeating himself. After Peter healed the beggar and gave his sermon, he stated twice that the power wasn't his own. But he says that Jesus made this man well. He says that not only did Jesus' name make the beggar well, but he wants people to know that salvation is only found in Jesus. He's absolutely fired up, isn't he? He boldly tells the gospel to the Sanhedrin, the group of religious leaders who are trying to have him arrested and convicted of blasphemy. Now, personally, I think uh, it'd be quite scary to tell someone interrogating me that Jesus died a death to make salvation possible at the cost of his own life. How about you guys? Seems like a rather risky situation to really hold on to your cards, doesn't it? It doesn't stop there either. As we go on, do we see the Sanhedrin keep questioning the apostles? Well, they're clearly flustered. They're at a loss for what to do, and they sit there and start thinking, plotting. Plotting to be a hurdle for the apostles to stop these two fishermen from preaching the gospel. Verse 13 to 18. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Look, the Sanhedrin aren't dealing with two sophisticated, distinguished members of society. For some reason, whenever we read the stories of the apostles, we kind of think they're superheroes of some sort. They were regular people. Sure, we normally aren't going around healing people and doing other amazing signs and wonders. But the same Holy Spirit that lived in them lives in you too. Look, it says the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. The Sanhedrin are dealing with Pete and Jono, who work in the factory down the road. Probably didn't get to finish school either. 
Yet these two guys are schooling the Sanhedrin on Jesus and salvation, boldly as well. What would it look like for us to be bolder? I want to keep this question floating around uh, because we might need it. We'll come back to it later on though. So the Sanhedrin command them not to speak about Jesus at all. At this point, it'd make sense if Peter and John backed down, wouldn't it? But they don't. Verse 19 to 22. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Instead of backing down, they double down. What I mean by double down is that they, they feel even more committed to their risky course of action. Now, this is a big call for us. Because when Christians are accused of being narrow-minded, crazy, what are you going to do? You're going to retreat. Will you explain and defend? Look back to Peter and John. They say, should we listen to you, the Sanhedrin, or listen to God? We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard, they say. They're taking their mission to be witnesses in all Judea, uh, sorry, all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth very seriously. And friends, Peter and John aren't bold because of anything they are or they've achieved. They were just two fishermen who knew Jesus. They didn't do anything notable themselves. Remember Peter ran away when Jesus was getting crucified? Peter was bold because he wanted to tell others about Jesus, to tell others the gospel, the good news that eternal life with God was possible because of Christ. And I don't know if you're ever like me and think, I really want to be bolder and braver in who I talk to about Christianity. Brothers and sisters, Peter, and, Peter shows us all that knowing that message about Jesus is what we need to focus on. Because they felt like it was a must to talk about Jesus. They couldn't keep it to themselves. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, we know the gospel. The good news that Jesus came into this world to die the death that we deserve. And his death means that we can have eternal life with God forever. What are we going to do with that information? We have two options. Keep it to ourselves or something we tell boldly to others. Because there are times where you have to stand up for what you believe in. Things you know are right against opposition. And the opposition might be people you 
don't know, but it might be your classmates. It might be your good mate. Or even something or someone you're getting to know at work. Uh, at the start of this year, I was hanging out with friends um, who aren't Christian, and we're just waiting on uh, a takeaway meal. And we had a pretty heated discussion. Now, all of us are talking, and the topic of religion comes up. Uh, they start mentioning how crazy it sounds for someone to just come back to life, uh, namely Jesus, right? Now, at this point, my friends are basically bad-mouthing Jesus. I made sure to give some input, saying that, yeah, it does sound crazy, but isn't that the point? People don't just come back to life, which is why it's such a big deal that Jesus did. I'm bringing up this story because it might be a conversation you'll have. You might need to stand up for your faith. It might be against people that you don't want to stand against. There might be situations that call you to be really bold, like Peter and John. And what Peter and John's boldness points out here is that there will be people who antagonize Christianity. But Peter and John really show what the response ought to be. Not that we back away into our shells, but we, we stand firm and we double down. Now, because of the time we live in, there's the obvious question of, well, what, if it, what happens if I get in trouble? Uh, maybe at work, school, uni, even in public or with friends. It's a real situation we need to be prepared for. We'll cover this in our next section. But in the meantime, I'd like for us to think about the way the apostles have stood firm when they were challenged. It's an incredible challenge to us Christians because like the apostles, we also know the gospel. We also know that Jesus died the death that we deserve to make a relationship with God possible. We know that salvation is only found in him. And since we know that, let me ask you again. What should we do with that information? Hide it away. Keep it to ourselves. What about Peter and John's words in verse 20? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The apostles knew that people like the beggar they healed needed to hear the gospel. They needed to know that there's something better than the existence we know. And you can sense the urgency that they had, can't you? Beggar asked them for donations. They said, we don't have any money, but we have something far better. Sanhedrin told them to stop talking about Jesus. They said, no, people need to hear this. They stood firm and pressed on with evangelism, even when it was difficult. Hey, they basically evangelized the Sanhedrin. What about us? Are we going to press on and evangelize even when it's really hard to? Now, when we think about the responses we have to challenges in evangelism, there are, again, a few ways we can respond. We might stand in boldness. We might retreat and back down. 
But here, after they get released, the apostles show us another option. To excitedly ask for help in prayer for more boldness. Now, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elder had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So you can imagine that Peter and John get released. Uh, they go to their friends, tell them what happened. I think most, most of us, myself included, would have been shaken up with such an incident. Peter and John just t- took on the Sanhedrin, the head honchos. But look at how this ends instead. Everyone is keen to pray. And they pray, quoting the opening words of Psalm 2. And we're reminded of the way Jesus had fulfilled so much in what had taken place recently. The fact that Jesus had come from David's line. The Gentiles raged against Jesus as they sentenced him to the cross and carried out his sentence. The people, the rulers, the kings, Herod, Pontius Pilate, all banded together against the Messiah sent by God. And verse 28 fulfilled God's plan. Then comes the high point of the prayer. They don't pray that the people who plotted against them be silenced. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for God to just straight up change the hearts of those who oppose them. They pray for boldness. They want more boldness in their speech because they know they're going to face more opposition. That they have this mission to tell more people about Jesus. And they know they need to ask God for help. And it's a great look at how we ought to be thinking about the opposition we'll get when we bring the gospel to people. It's not about asking for something easier. It's about asking for help from God to be bold. And surprise, surprise, God answers the prayers of the apostles and others. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke God's word boldly. Now, we don't really know how this looked, but at this point, Everyone's filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with boldness. 
even ordinary believers took opportunities to share the gospel with unbelievers wherever they went. Now, back when I was a ministry apprentice at UQ, uh, I'd often go with students uh, into the great court to do walk-up evangelism. Uh, Usually, we'd meet at the clock tower and uh, we'd go out in pairs and talk to people around campus to see what their views were on uh, Christianity and faith in general. Uh, Sounds kind of intimidating, and often it was, uh, but generally, the conversations went fairly well. Most people would be respectful, uh, sometimes quite curious. I have to say that uh, the first, that for my first time walking to the clock tower, I was a total nervous wreck. What if I say something dumb? What if I offend them? What if I don't make any sense? Wasn't a pretty sight. But as the bunch of us uh, met up, we all talked about how we were feeling, and we'd ask God for help in prayer. The truth is, none of us felt like experts in walk-up evangelism. None of us knew what would be coming. Maybe it was hostility, keenness to know more, indifference. It could have been anything. We didn't know, and we all felt like we needed help, like those who prayed in this last section. And this leads us to our final section as we look back at what this passage means for us. And it's that seeking help in evangelism is a completely normal thing to want. Now, frankly, we might also want to give up when it's hard. It's easier to stick with what's comfortable, isn't it? But we know that God, uh, we know that we can pray to God and that he'll help. Whether it's exactly the same way our chapter plays out, we don't really know. But we can ask God for help, and God will help. We do also have uh, many, many excellent resources at our disposal. Uh, So if you're a uni student and you want to know more ways to share the gospel with your friends, you could always check out your local AFES group to find out ways, uh, other ways to evangelize. Uh, There are some really well-equipped staff and students at these groups that could help you. Maybe that's not an option for you as you're no longer a student. Uh, There are some excellent, excellent books like uh, Sam Chan and his Evangelism in a Skeptical World, uh, Rico, Rico Tice's Honest Evangelism, or Stephen McAlpine's Being the Bad Guys. All these are excellent books that help us think about sharing the gospel to those around us when it's hard, or even when it's viewed as wrong and potentially dangerous. You even have gospel presentations, such as Two Ways to Live. These are all very helpful resources for us as we seek to bring the good news to others, even with challenges in front of us. Now, in the previous section, I also spoke about how we need to be prepared for challenges we face in the workplace. Because Peter and John came up against religious opposition, we'd want to be thinking about what we can realistically do when it comes to evangelism in the workplace. Uh, As servants, workers, we do need to respect our masters, our bosses. For many of our workplaces, 
we can't actually be the first one to speak up and tell them the gospel. But if someone asks you what you believe, then you can. I think it's also important to briefly mention that between uh, patients, clients, customers, you'll have a position of power, and we need to be aware of those dynamics. Uh, generally, it's, o- it's okay for us to openly mention that we're Christian. Uh, you can mention God without arguing for God. You can have uh, a Bible or a verse, a verse on your desk that openly shows your faith. The way we live our lives are also invitations for many to think about the rest of our life. We can use those things as subtle invitations for others, if they want to engage. But also, be wise and consider your context. You can't use every client, patient, or student to be people we evangelize to. But your peers and colleagues should be your first port of call. It's not always the wisest thing to turn every interaction into an evangelistic rally. But just because you can't be the initiator initiator, doesn't mean you can't be prepared. Be prepared with the gospel and live out your response to the gospel. Love and respect others. Be faultless. Work faithfully. I know these things are easier said than done, but there's always great potential for conversation because of this. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we're all tasked with the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. God knew this wouldn't be easy. After all, Jesus did say in John's Gospel, If the world hates you, know that it it has hated me before you. Preaching the Gospel was never going to be easy. And the apostles were ready for that too. They were arrested because they preached about Jesus. But they cared enough for others and were convinced that he was the only way to eternal life. There was no other way. And they did it even with the challenges and the opposition they faced. What about you? What about us? Is the good news of Jesus something you want others to know and have because you truly believe that people need the salvation that it offers and that there is no other way? Do you feel the urgency there is for others to know that salvation is only found in Christ? How do you feel about pressing on with evangelism even when it's difficult. My encouragement is to keep the people you know and love, the ones that don't know Jesus, in your mind. Keep them in mind. And after the service, share with the person next to you what challenges you have faced in sharing Jesus to them. And then pray after 
to God for the boldness that we need to share the good news, even when it's so difficult to do that. Let me pray. Dear Father, you have been gracious in giving Jesus to us, and because of this, we can be your children. Lord, we often find it difficult to share your word to people we love and care for. We often choose our own comfort and convenience over boldness and love. But thank you that your good news has reached us, allowing to live life with you according to your word. Help us, Father, to boldly live out your great commission, even when it's so hard to. Help us to love others and share the good news even when people we care about or everyone else is against us. Please help us to be bold in sharing your gospel. Grow our desire to love and care for them in this way. In Jesus' name. Amen.